day, crown him with many crowns. What an appropriate song for this week, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Somebody's being crowned this week. Did you know that? Anybody realize that? Yeah, it's happening on Saturday. And, uh, and, and somebody planned this preaching plan incredibly well because, do you know, Psalm 122, which we'll do next week, I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. That has been sung at coronation services ever since, ever since King Charles II. And we're doing that on the day after the coronation next week. How amazing is that? Isn't that amazing? Yeah. And um, have you got a Bible today? Anybody got a Bible? Um, I'm using an ESV Bible. Can you turn with me to the preface? Can you do that? Can't do it. You've got an electronic one. You, know, you need a real Bible for this. A real. I read the Bible all the way from contents to maps. You know, the whole lot. I'm a big fan of the Bible. Um, but it's really strange. If you go to the preface of the ESV translation, which is the translation we normally use here, um, and it's a good translation, uh, the very first sentence has got a quotation from the order of service for the coronation of King Charles on Saturday. Did you know that? Yeah? The very first sentence of the preface of the ESV quotes from the coronation service for King Charles this coming Saturday. All right? Let's read what it says. This book, that's the Bible. They're going to present the king with a Bible. Okay? This book is the most valuable thing that this world affords. Wow, isn't that amazing? You'll have the crown jewels there. We have all these symbols of power and state and all this jewellery and all these symbols of empire. And they'll say to the whole world and the whole nation, this book is the most valuable thing. The most valuable thing in the world. This book. What a witness. Right? What a witness it is. Let's read on. Here is wisdom. This is the royal law. These are the lively oracles of God. They're saying, this is the word of God, king. This is the word of God, nation. This is the word of God, world. This is the most valuable thing that we can give you. We're going to present you lots of other things, but the most valuable thing that we're giving you is this book, the word of God. Isn't that amazing? Doesn't that witness to the power of the gospel in this land over centuries? You know, those words have been said in every coronation service for hundreds of years, well over a thousand years. And... And also the king will have to promise to preserve the gospel of Christ. Isn't that amazing? Right? And to preserve the Protestant reformed religion established by law. Do you realise Christians set that up, yeah? And said we want every king to have to promise to preserve the gospel. Every king's got to do this forevermore in this land. And it's enshrined in law. King Charles couldn't change it. The archbishop couldn't change it. It's there. He's got to say, these words have got to be said by the king. And what a witness to the power of the gospel in this land, which has been incredible. And of course, sadly, we're turning away from God at the moment as a nation. But let's pray. Can you pray for the coronation next week? And pray for the king as he makes this very big oath and as he's, he'll be anointed with oil in a ceremony that goes back to the Old Testament and he's actually going to do it in private. He's got a screen around him so no one can see. Even the, audience, the congregation can't see him and it won't be on camera and he'll be anointed with oil symbolising the Holy Spirit and he'll take communion and I'm just praying for the Holy Spirit to touch him in that moment. Yeah? 
and for him to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. That's what the symbolism is for. And for him to encounter the living God whose word this is next Saturday morning. Yeah, if you're not invited, you can watch it on TV, I understand. You know, so, and if you're watching it, pray. Pray while it's going on because it's a Christian service, a Christian act of worship, a Christian witness to what God has done in the nation. Let's go then now to Psalm 121, which is um, what we're looking at today. And um, let's just read um, these verses. Got it up on the screen for you, I hope. Yep. Let's read it. Part of the lively oracles of God, part of the most valuable thing in the world. Let's read these words. I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Amen. It's a prayer, isn't it? It is a prayer. All the Psalms are prayers. Do you realise that? They're all prayers. And I love the Psalms and I'm blessed by them and I've, been, I've made it my habit to read a Psalm a day as part of my Bible reading uh, for a number of years now. And of course, the question that I put that up there is, where does your help come from? Where does your help come from? And I think the first um, thing to realise is we need help. Did you know that? We all need help from time to time. You know, I was very struck because a few years ago for my sins, I went to an atheist church. Just once. <laughs> right? Just out of curiosity, okay? Uh, have you heard of the Atheist Assembly, any of you? It still meets in London. Some of you have, yeah? And um, so I went along to this atheist church, okay? And it was really interesting because they meet in a, in a hall that was something like this or something like a church. And um, there was a band there, a bit like this, and we sang songs uh, together, and then we had notices, and we had a collection, and then we had a, a witty, inspiring talk, like here, you know, <laughs> and, and then we had tea and coffee afterwards, and chat afterwards, and I thought, wow, you know, all these people want all of these ingredients church without the best bit, which is God, right? And, you know, we didn't have prayers, and we didn't have the Bible, and we didn't have, well, perhaps we did have worship, but not the right kind of worship. Um, and, you know, we sung these songs. I remember one of the songs we sang was that Beatles song, Help, I Need Somebody. Do you know that song? Maria knows it. Maria's old enough to remember it, probably. Yeah. Help, I Need Somebody. And what a surreal experience it was for me to stand with words on the screen, singing together with a whole bunch of atheists, help. I need somebody. Won't you please, please help me? 
<laughs> and, you know, of course, I wanted to say, yes, and there is somebody. <laughs> Do you know another song we sang? I Need a Hero. Do you know that song? <laughs> so I stood there with all these atheists saying, I need a hero. You know, somebody's big and strong, somebody's watching me. Yes, you need a hero, and the hero is Jesus. What a, what a weird experience, but the point is that at least they recognize they need some help, right? That's the first step, but then they weren't looking in the right place for where they were going to get help from. And this verse says, I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? Why is he looking to the hills? There's some hills in Israel. And um, as Duncan explained, these psalms are used to travel up to Jerusalem. And Jerusalem was a bit of a high point. And maybe he's looking up the hills around. Maybe he's having to climb up a bit of a hill. Uh, the writer of this psalm, they're thinking about climbing up hills. Um, and he's thinking about it's a treacherous journey. It's a difficult journey. It's hard work, you know, um, and, uh, and it's not very pleasant. doesn't look a very inviting place to be that, does it, um, in the mountains there. And there's dangers, and you can slip, and you can fall. In fact, one of the verses later on talks about my foot might slip. Um, and so it, he, he may well be looking at the hills and thinking, where am I going to get help on this journey? Where am I going to get help on this journey, and we can spiritualize this psalm because although it, you know, maybe it's about a physical journey, and it is about a physical journey originally, it's also about a spiritual journey, isn't it? Right? And our spiritual journey with God, which involves some mountains and involves some hills and some trials and some difficulties and some challenges. And we might look at these mountains, challenges, difficulties, giants, whatever they are, and think, where am I going to get my help from for those things? And that is perhaps part of what the psalmist is thinking here. Well, what is gonna, how am I going to be helped to get over these mountains? On the other hand, um, mountains were also sites of pagan worship in those days. You read Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 23, says this, Truly the hills are a delusion, the orgies on the mountains. It's referring to pagan sexual worship that went on in the mountains. And he's looking at the mountains and seeing and thinking of the idols that are worshipped on the mountains, and thinking, but where does my help come from? I'm not going to look to them for help. I'm going to look to the true and living God for help. Or maybe he's looking at the mountains and thinking they're really inspiring like this, um, which is from Easter when I was in Snowdonia, and we got up to this place here, and I just thought, wow, what a view. And it is inspiring, you know, and I find mountains inspiring because they remind me of an amazing creator God. And maybe that's part of what the psalmist is thinking of, where does his help come from? Because in a sense, mountains are also dangerous. You can see there was snow up there. We didn't want to go too high up there. And if it started snowing and the mist came down, um, it wouldn't be a lot of fun up there. Where does our help come from? Well, of course, the answer comes in the very next verse. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. My help comes from the creator, not creation. 
the creator, not creation. It doesn't even come from friends. <laughs> Excuse me, like the Beatles song is trying to imply. Although friends are useful and friends are good. We really need help from God. And the point is that he made it all. And if he made it all, then he's absolutely in control of it. And he knows it and he's absolutely in charge of it, as I'm going to see in a minute. But I was very struck a little while ago with a story that someone told um, about a lesson that he had in prayer. He said, this is the most valuable lesson in prayer I ever had. And I remember, you know, it stuck with me because I thought, wow, what a lesson. And um, I can't remember how he got here, okay, but bear with me. He got, he found himself in a tree with a whole load of dogs barking and baying and growling trying to attack him. Okay, so he managed to climb into this tree to escape from a load of dogs, right? And they, these dogs are definitely wanting to attack him. They're growling and barking and baying and everything. Um, at this tree, and they can see him up there, and they're trying to attack him. So what do you think he does when he's in this tree? He prays. He doesn't take an Instagram photo or anything like that. It's probably pre-mobile fans. He prays, and he prays every prayer he can think of in the book. He prays to God. He prays and asks God to sort it out. He asks God to take the dogs away, and then he commands the dogs, go away in the name of Jesus, and, and nothing happens. Then he decides to curse the dogs, so he curses the dogs, and nothing happens. Then he decides, maybe we should bless the dogs. So he blesses the dogs, and blesses all their offspring, and blesses them forevermore, and they still don't go away. And then he, he quotes scripture at the dogs, then he claims promises from the Bible about dogs and about other things as well, and claims, God, you're going to protect me. God, you promised to do this, you promised to do that. And then he tells the dogs that they should listen to the scripture as well, and he preaches the gospel to the dogs as well. And then... And he, and he prays everybody, he prays in tongues, then he prays and shouts in tongues, then he sings in tongues, then he, then he worships, he tried every kind of prayer he could think of. And after some hours, he finally said, God, help. And that was the point where the dogs started to lose interest and left. And it was, it's just such a powerful lesson because we can think that, we can even pray in our own strength, Right? can even pray thinking, I've got this, I don't know how to do this, I can pray this way. I've got the right formula for this. Or you can feel like I'm not praying right because I've not got the right formula. All of that's rubbish, right? Prayer is humbly asking God for help. That's what it is, humbly asking God, help, help. And that is, if you humbly ask God for help, that is when God will turn up. That is when God will come and answer your prayers. But the point is that he is the creator. He made it. He made heaven and earth. And being the creator, he's in control. So the next verse says, he will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. So what does it mean, this? Well, one thing we know it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean if you're a Christian, you'll never sprain your ankle, okay? It doesn't mean that because lots of Christians have sprained their ankles. Some of them have broken their ankles. One a friend of mine broke her ankle not very long ago. And um, the fact is that Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation. John 16, right? There's a promise for you, okay, to claim next time you're praying, okay? Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation, right? It does never say in the Bible that bad things never happen to good people. Right? In fact, in lots of places in the Bible, bad things 
happen to good people. And of course, Jesus was a good person and lots of bad things happened to him. And think of Job. Job lost his family, his wealth and his health. And he was never told he was sinful. Never in a book, right? And he lost his family, his health and his wealth, but he didn't lose his faith. He didn't lose his faith in spite of all that and God blessed him as a result of it. So what does it mean when it says, because we have to put this in the context of the whole Bible, he will not let your foot be moved. What does it mean, right? Well, one way of translating it, which is done by the Net Bible, is to say, may he not let your foot slip. In other words, it's a prayer. You could translate it as a prayer. May he not let your foot slip. And maybe that's actually what it really means here, a prayer for protection, for God not to let your foot slip. And hopefully God will answer. But also, do you know, I was reading in my reading of the Psalms generally, I read Psalm 17 just recently. And in Psalm 17, it says that uh, my steps have held fast to your paths and my feet have not slipped. And he's sort of saying, look, God, answer my prayer because I've been good and I've followed your ways and I've followed your paths. So this is a spiritual path of following God's path for your life. And my foot has not slipped from your path for my life. And so in that sense, I think this is perhaps what this psalm is saying, is that he will not let your foot slip from his path for your life. He will not let your foot slip from his path for your life. No one can stop me from following God's path for my life. I can step out of God's path if I'm stupid enough, right? But no one else can stop me from walking in God's path for my life. And did you know the safest place for you in the world today is on God's path for your life? If God wants you to be in Ukraine, that is the safest place in the world for you to be today. If you try and run away from that, you get out of God's safety. Think about Jonah, right? He, he was told to go to Nineveh, ran off to Tarshish, then he lost God's protection, right? The safest place for you to be is in God's path for your life, and on God's path, he will not let your foot slip from his path for your life because he's in control of every last aspect of it. I love it because in the service next Saturday, which I'm really looking forward to, Prime Minister Rishi Sunak has to read this passage, right? A bit longer, actually, than what I've quoted there, right? And I reckon they thought, wow, we've got a Hindu Prime Minister. What should we get him to read? I know. We're going to read a passage about how amazing Jesus is, yeah. right? We're going to read a passage about how Jesus is the King of Kings, the Creator, the Lord. He holds everything. He's in charge of everything. There's no other gods apart from him. In other words, we're going to read perhaps the most awesome passage that best contradicts Hinduism in the Bible. Poor Sunak. Poor Rishi. Somebody's having a laugh here, right? Let's read it. For by him, that's Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. 
and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Did you get how many times it says all things there? Right? Do you get that? What does that leave out? Right? What is he holding together? All things, right? That, that includes every atom of your body, right? It includes every molecule in this room. It includes every single person, every breath, every item, right? Because he creates that out of nothing. If he wasn't holding it together, it would disappear, right? It, everything, everything is absolutely dependent on God. Everything is dependent on God at every moment of the universe. It's dependent on God. Every, everything. Utterly dependent on Jesus. He is absolutely in charge. He's absolutely in control. And Paul Sunak has to witness to that. There are passages they could have chosen that he might have been happy to agree with. He won't agree with this one. What else does it say in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11? According to the purpose of him who works all things, according to the counsel of his will. What does that leave out? Everything, everything is in accordance with his will. All things that happen in the world. It's absolutely God's on it. Absolutely God's in it. Absolutely God's working through it. That doesn't mean I have an explanation of why, of how. Most of you know my wife died last year. I've got a few questions to God about that. Right? I can also see God's providence in some ways in how it happened and what happened and, and the ways in which it happened, the timing of it, all this kind of thing. But I don't have an explanation of why God chose that to happen at this time altogether. You know, I don't. But I do know that I can trust that he is good and he has got good reasons. And when I get to heaven, I'll ask him that question. But I, in the meantime, I have to trust him much like a child has to trust their parents. Because that's what we are. We're little children in comparison with our big, awesome, amazing God. He won't let your foot slip from God's path for your life. Furthermore, he never sleeps. He who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Did you know you have God's full attention right now? You have God's full attention right now. He's fully attentive to your thoughts. Every moment of your life, he's fully attentive to you. Did you know that? Right? We looked at um, Elijah and Elisha, the previous series of preaching, and Duncan preached, I think, on this passage where Elijah mocks the prophets of Baal because they're crying out to their God. And he said, maybe you need to cry a bit louder, right? Because, you know, maybe he's, maybe he's musing. Maybe he's relieving himself off the toilet. Maybe he's on a journey. Perhaps he's asleep. He needs to shout a bit louder, guys. And they're mutilating themselves, I think, because their God might be asleep. But he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. He's fully attentive to your every moment. Fully attentive. He's, you've got his full attention. Because he's omniscient, He's fully present with you. He's fully present everywhere in the universe. He's fully present because he's omnip that's omnipresent as well. He's omniscient. He knows everything about you as well. He's fully attentive to you and he's listening to you 
and you can cry out to him at any time and you can bring your attention to him, but you've got his attention the entire time because he never sleeps. He uses this word keeper. We've already seen it a few times, about six times in this psalm. It's about protection, this psalm. But God is our protector, our keeper. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. This, part, this metaphor of shade, which means protection. It's like we're covered by God's protection. We're covered by him. And there are lots of other psalms that refer to this. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge until the storms of destruction pass away. It's like a shield. God's covering shield, God's covering protection is right over us, constant, constant. Lots of the Psalms are about prayer for protection. Lots of the Psalms are talking about help me, save me from my enemies, protect me from this, protect me from that. And we should pray for protection and pray for God to watch over us and pray for God to help us in things. I remember um, a little while ago, um, some of you might remember we were meeting over the road and, um, and it was, must have been winter and, and as we were meeting the snow came down, I remember that? And there was thick flakes of snow coming down and uh, we were thinking, well, how's it, what's it going to be like driving back from this? And I hadn't planned for it, I hadn't expected it at all. And uh, you know, when we finally got in the car, for some reason I was on my own, I can't remember what was happening. And, um, and I drove to, to go back home and there's all this thick snow and the windscreen wipers going, wing, 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 wing. And, um, and the snow was getting thicker and thicker, it was settling on the ground. And I got to this steep bit of the road, it's up Totteridge Lane if you know it. And it's really quite steep there. And this snow was falling. And as I was driving there, there's all these cars slipping and sliding around all over the place. I was, and I was praying like mad, God, please help me get up this hill, you know, because I don't want to slip. I don't want to crash into a car. I don't want to have to get out of this car in this snow and have to walk all the way back. And, and, you know, please let me get up this hill. And somehow I got up that hill by the grace of God, because I don't think I'm a brilliant driver and I don't think we've got the brilliant, most brilliant car in the world. Yeah, and even as I got up the hill in the rear view mirror, there's another car slipping and sliding into another car going on. And I just, you know, felt God answered my prayers there and helped me when I cried out to him. And, and the point is, you can cry out to him for help in your circumstance, um, whenever it is, wherever it is. And he's there because he's watching over us and shadowing us and protecting us from um, different things as they come up. And it goes on to say, the sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. In other words, he protects you for the dangers of day and the dangers of the night. Um, you might think the moon doesn't really harm you, and it doesn't really harm you, but um, A, people worshipped the moon in those days, and so there, was, there were idols behind it, and B, people believed that if you were alone in the wilderness and you looked at the moon, you might go mad, hence the word lunatic, which, which comes from lunar moon. Um, madness, and so they believe that you could be afraid and you should be afraid of the moon. Um, and so here, this is why it says the sun will not strike you by day, nor the moon by night, but the, the metaphor really is saying he's constantly protecting you from all the dangers of the day and all the dangers of the night. Whatever might come against you, you've got his overshadowing protection. You don't need to fear. You can pray for God's protection. You can trust in God's protection that he's watching over 
you. And then it says, the Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. Now, as I said, you know, Jesus said in this world, you will have tribulation. And Job lost his health and his wealth and his family. But it still says he will keep you from all evil. And I'm reminded here of Psalm 23 where it says, Yes, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. It's the evil effects of calamity, of trouble, that this is promising to protect you from. Right? You will have troubles, you'll have health issues, you'll have stresses and strains and issues, you'll have that, Jesus promised it. Claim it, okay? You will get those things, all right? But you don't need to suffer evil from them. You don't need to suffer evil from them. God's promising to protect you from that. And just look, uh, for example, at Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things, there it is again, work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. So God is working it for good in your life. He's wanting to use it in your life. You're not necessarily going to understand it. You will have to trust him. That's part of building your faith. That's part of building your character. That's part of building you into the person he wants you to be. You're going to have to trust him sometimes. You're going to have to trust him that he's working in it. And you don't have all the answers, as I said already. But we know for sure all things, that's everything in your life, God is working. All those, that's all the people that you're involved with. That's all the people in your workplace. That's all the stresses in your workplace. That's who your boss is, who your colleague is who your relatives are, all these things, any health issues, any stresses and strains, building issues, whatever it might be, it's all part of God's plan to develop you and to work for your good and to build you up into the person that he wants you to be. Again, in Romans, a bit later on in the same chapter, for I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can take you out of God's love. Nothing can do it. No one, nothing, nothing. Now, not even anything in the future it says that. Right? Nothing can do it. You can't escape. No one can steal you out of him. And then it says as well, he will keep your life. He will keep your life. And I remember sharing about this um, when I was preaching um, early in the lockdown. And I was, and I, I was um, preaching. You know, we actually did a video preach because we weren't allowed to meet. And I did a sermon on Psalm 138 because I'd been struck by the verse in Psalm 138, verse 7, where it says... You preserve my life. And because and I've been afraid of this coronavirus, I think most of us were, right? And I was afraid of it, and I thought, gosh, you know, this might kill me, because I'm a vulnerable person. And I was afraid of it, and I read this psalm, and it says, you preserve my life, and it goes on to say, the Lord will fulfill his purpose in me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose in me. And I thought, yes, it's not up to coronavirus. 
It's not up to anyone else. It's not up to any virus or sickness or anything else. No one else can stop me from fulfilling God's purpose in my life. I'm not going to die until God is ready for me to die. Right? No one else can decide that. Only God decides that. No virus, no sickness, no anything else. Nothing else can decide when I die. Only God can decide that. The Lord preserves your life. The Lord can take it away if he wants to and give it to you if he wants to. It's entirely up to him. And the Lord will fulfill his purpose in your life. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. And finally, he will keep you forever. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. You're going out and you're coming in. That's symbolic for everything. Everything you do. Well, it doesn't matter where you're going out, where you're coming, whatever you do. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, he's watching over you. Whatever you're doing, he's caring. Whatever you're doing, he's attentive to you. He's with you. He's overshadowing you. He's watching you. He's protecting you. All the time, every day, every night, every moment, he's watching you. Every moment, he's protecting you. Every moment, right up until your last breath on earth and beyond into eternity as well. He's watching you. He's with you. You have his full attention. He's caring about you. He's bothered about you. He's interested in the little things as well as the big things. Just, you know, just the slightest slip of a foot, he's interested in that. Don't think he's distracted by Putin or distracted by Trump or whoever else it might be. He's got your full, you've got his full attention. His full attention. He's not distracted. He's not asleep. He's there. He's with you. He's watching over you. Let's stand, shall we, and we'll pray. And just as I've been reminding us that God's attention is fully on you and on every thought that you have right now, I just want to ask you to give God some of your attention. And just in your own mind, talk to him, because he's here now, and he's with us now. And just in your own mind, give God your attention. What is he saying to you? What is he highlighting to you? What is he reminding you of? What is he speaking to you about? I'm sure that many of us here have stresses and struggles and health issues and things that are bothering us or pressure at work, whatever it might be. And we just want to say, help God, help, help in those things. In a moment, I'm just going to ask you to lift your hand. If you want, to, want prayer for that, and I'm just going to pray for people who lift their hand. And then some of us might want to ask for some more specific prayer from somebody. I just want you to take a moment now say, am I going to lift my hand? God, do you want me to lift my hand in response to this? Is there something that I want to be prayed for? If that's you, just lift your hand now. If we just want some prayer for God to be with us, God to know that God's with you, know that God cares about every last detail of your life. Thank you. Lots of people have got their hands up. Is there any more people want to put a hand up? Yeah, Jesus. Yeah, Jesus. Yeah, Jesus. And Lord, thank you that you see every heart, you see every mind, you see every person. Thank you that every person here right now has got your full attention, Jesus. Your full attention. Thank you that you care about every stress and strain 
that we're handing to you now. We just want to surrender them to you. Say, Lord, come and take these burdens. Come and take these burdens. Come and take these burdens. We just want to say, Lord, come, be our helper. Lord, we don't look to anyone else to help. We look to you to help, Jesus. We want you to be our helper. Say, Lord, you be our help. Be our helper. Be the person that we look to. Be the person that is with us. I just want to pray for every person here with their hands up now. Just presence yourself. Just reveal yourself. Just inject your peace, the peace of God, the peace that passes understanding. Let them know in a deep way that you're with them. You're with them. You're with them. You're with us. You're with us, Lord. You're in it. You're working in it. You're working in it. You're working it. You've, you love us. You love each person and you care and you're working all things for the good of us. Jesus, remind us of these things. Jesus, touch us. Thank you, Lord. And Lord, just want to, you can put your hands down now. I just want to pray for the coronation coming up next week and I just want to pray for your spirit to be powerfully present in that service next week Lord Jesus I just want to pray for King Charles he knows your gospel Lord Jesus I don't know exactly where his heart is but you know Lord Jesus I just want to pray come and touch him as he makes those oaths let him take it seriously let him know this is something he's doing before you in the presence of you and you take it seriously Lord Jesus let it be a witness to the nation Lord, when he's anointed behind a screen, just with you and him and the bishop, just with you and him, come, Lord Jesus, let that oil be your Holy Spirit. Come and touch him. Come and touch his heart. Come and let him know that you're so real. You're so real. You're so much bigger than all these other gods and pretended religions and everything. You're so much bigger. You're so much more powerful. Come and touch him. Come and let him know. Come and let him decide to be a defender of the faith, the faith, a defender of Christianity in this land and stand for it, we pray. Remind this nation of a true God and turn us back to you, we pray, in repentance. In Jesus' name, amen.